I'm Cheryl Zapata, the Chief Development Officer at Texas Back Institute. Thanks for joining us today for the Texas Back Institute podcast. I'm joined by our special guest, Dr. Ralph Rashbaum. He's an orthopedic spine surgeon and co-founder of Texas Back Institute. Welcome, Dr. Rashbaum. Thank you. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about your medical background? Uh, I am a uh, co-founder, as you indicated, of the Texas Back Institute. Uh, we uh, founded this, when I say we, Dr. Hawkshaw and Dr. Geyer, uh, in 1977 and, and have been uh, uh, in practice uh, uh, doing the diagnosis and treatment of uh, spine and spine-related disorders. And what is your role at Texas Back Institute? Uh, now I'm a participation, participant in, in uh, treating patients. In the past, uh, uh, I was medical director uh, for many, many years. Uh, I've been uh, capable, excuse me, I've been fortunate to be able to pass a lot of those duties on to uh, the subsequent uh, uh, associates and partners uh, in this uh, organization. And you're an orthopedic spine surgeon. I'm an orthopedic uh, uh, spine trained surgeon. Uh, I did uh, my fellowship training uh, under the uh, auspices of uh, Dr. Henry Bowman. I was his first uh, uh, fellowship trained spine surgeon, uh, followed a year later uh, by uh, uh, a fellowship program uh, under the directions of Drs. Uh, Rothman and Simeon being their first spine uh, uh, trained surgeon. Uh, I elected to give up uh, all of the other associated problems uh, of, the orth- of an orthopedic nature, that is bone and joint, uh, ligaments, nerves, and muscles, uh, and just specifically since 1977 when I started in practice, uh, just dedicated to the diagnosis and treatment of spinal disorders. Earlier you and I were talking and you mentioned that you're not just a spine surgeon, but that you're also a pain therapist. Yes. Would you talk about that some more? Perhaps the most important decision in my life, uh, the second decision, most important, well, third, I married my wife uh, and then uh, had children. uh, And then I decided to uh, uh, start a career uh, in uh, the area of spine pain. Uh, That was a a telling moment in my life. Uh, Once I got fully trained and started practice, and from the moment I started practice, although I was fully trained, in joint replacement, arthroscopy, I'm talking about the antiquated versions of those. Uh, there have been incredible uh, changes over the years. Uh, I decided to just uh, uh, continue to look at the problems associated with the spine. Uh, and as a result of that, uh, I recognized that not all endeavors uh, in surgery uh, are met with stellar responses. Uh, some uh, are made, uh, some Lack of responses made on the basis of wrong diagnosis, uh, some lack of responses made on wrong execution uh, of the surgery that was deemed necessary. I'm not talking about those people. I'm talking about the people that we bonafide been able to identify what was wrong, and we did the best contemporary uh, operative intervention at the time. Uh, and since uh, we're not machines, but we're biologic tissue, we don't necessarily get the same repeatable success. My perception was I had an allegiance, a necessity to make these people at least more comfortable. And so I decided to become trained uh, in pain therapies. And as a result, uh, over the last 30 years, 38 years, uh, I've done both uh, spine intervention uh, and uh, the treatment, the diagnosis of treatment of what we call failed back surgery, spine surgery syndrome. And it's been a compelling uh, um, uh, uh, travel, if you will. It's helped 
I believe, identify Texas Back Institute as a leader uh, in uh, the development of uh, other therapies uh, uh, over the years that we've been here practicing in the metropolitan area. So one of the things that you mentioned earlier was that pretty much every physician in some way practices pain. Would you mention that again or talk about that a little bit? Surely. The real important issue here is that, uh, and I, I'm, I'm calling attention to the fact, perhaps 20 years ago, we used to have a big push on preventive medicine, or, or what we call wellness examinations. What does that mean? Well, it means that you're taking a patient, or a prospective patient, and saying, you come in, we want to make sure you're well. Well, point in fact is that's fallen off. Good idea. Perhaps a very good idea, but for whatever reason. Now, we get to see patients when there's a problem. And what's the problem? The signal is usually pain. If they have chest pain or angina, they go to see a cardiologist. If they have hip and, and knee pain or joint pain, they go to see an orthopedic surgeon. If they have bowel pain, they see a gastroenterologist. So the underlying theme is, I'm not seeing a physician unless and until I have pain. And so if you just extrapolate that out, uh, all of these interventions are because the steady state of being okay has changed, and pain is the signal. So what is SI joint dysfunction? The sacroiliac joint uh, is uh, the two joints, one right, one left, uh, where the uh, spinal column and the torso articulates with the sacrum. It's the cornerstone or the balance stone, if you will. Uh, it's a triangular uh, um, uh, bone, and uh, it receives all of that pressure. It articulates with the ilium, uh, through which the hip joints articulate. That's how we get to move our torso uh, and locomotive. Uh, and at that interface, it's called a sacroiliac joint. That is a joint unlike other joints in that it doesn't move very much. Uh, two to four degrees, which is minuscule. Uh, six degrees if you're pregnant uh, and only for a while. Uh, but it looks at an immense amount of pressure. Uh, the pressure in this is described as shear. And it's, an, it's the uh, uh, pressure that's trying to tear it apart. And so it, it's susceptible to injury, uh, both structural injury from, from some mishap uh, or uh, a degenerative process over time. And that results in pain specific to that specific area. And uh, euphemistically described this as pain in the butt. So what causes SI joint dysfunction? SI joint uh, dysfunction uh, is a, uh, a factor of aging. Uh, some of us do it uh, um, gradually over time, and it doesn't result in a great loss of function as we grow. Others of us uh, uh, basically precipitate it almost uh, immediately as a result of a, an injury mechanism. Uh, uh, two of my youngest patients, both 21 years of age, when I intervened, uh, were gymnasts. Uh, one was dropped. The other one sus uh, sustained us in a mishap when she landed during a tumble. Uh, typically, there's trauma involved. Uh, believe it or not, having babies, ladies, <laughs> is traumatic. It just doesn't always squirt out. Uh, and so if you have enough of those and you loosen the ligaments, that occurs. The other traumatic issue here is as we lo look at the uh, patient population, uh, which we have intervened as spine surgeons uh, to do fusions for low back pain or even artificial discs uh, for low back pain, there's a transition uh, force from the spine to the next mobile segment. Well, that could be the level above. So for instance, if you have a fusion from lumbar four to the sacrum, then three four would 
has is at greater risk of falling apart. And we do see that. It's called adjacent level degeneration. Well, guess what? Huh? The joints just below that fusion are the sacroiliac joints. And they look at increasing pressure and subsequent dysfunction and then pain. So that those are significant causations that we have created. In an effort to make people's lives better, we invariably make them at risk for having, for, for having further deterioration. The other issue is we have patients that have in, indigenously uh, wound up with this. Uh, I talk about the, uh, the, few, the, excuse me, the subsequent uh, degeneration of the SI joint in patients who have had spine surgery, spine fusion. It's about 45%. Compelling number. Predictable. Uh, if you look at the radiographic changes in a patient in whom uh, that, uh, uh, spine sur- that spine fusion took place, in just simple follow-up x-rays over time, 75% have radiographic evidence. That doesn't mean they have to have pain, but there's a degenerative process, which one might, in fact, say, okay, ultimately, it's going to hit the fan. And so we see that patient population with no history of injury or anything like that, anywhere from published 72 30 to 30%. They know pain with the sacroiliac joint. Not certain as to why. So how common is SI joint dysfunction? Basically, it's very common, okay, anywhere from uh, patients without pre- prior surgery, 15 to 30%, patients who have had spine fusion, up to 45%. Okay. And we, ha- we really never heard a lot about SI joint dysfunction until the last several years. Is that correct? That's correct. And so can you explain a little bit about why that was? Uh, the... I'd like to use the old analogy, if you're a hammer, if you're a hammer everything's a nail. Uh, as a spine surgeon, emphasis on spine, uh, when patients presented with back pain, we always assumed that it was coming from the spine. Invariably it was, but we basically didn't recognize that other things could mimic uh, low back pain or spondylogenic pain as the source. So how is SI joint dysfunction treated? Uh, for the most part. The vast majority of uh, patients are treated uh, conservatively. Uh, by that, I mean physical therapy, chiropractic invention, uh, intervention, uh, belts, uh, a specific exercise, avoidance of certain uh, triggers, if you will, uh, like uh, um, certain endeavors in the gym uh, or running or jumping or things like that. Ultimately, uh, if a patient is not uh, uh, made better by that, and then we intervene as a pain physician, do injection therapy, identifying the source or sources of pain, uh, and then do specific desensitization procedures called rhizotomy. Failing that, we have a mechanical issue, and ultimately, if the patient uh, is cleared for surgery, osteoporosis, in my consideration, is a relative contraindication, less treated, uh, then they would be subjected to a fusion of the sacroiliac joint. Physical therapy and chiropractic, are they helpful with SI joint dysfunction? Physical therapy and chiropractic are the mainstay, uh, and uh, treatment for the most part, weekend warrior stuff, uh, and they really, the, the, the proverbial sprain strain, it happens when you play golf, it happens when, you, when you're doing uh, work in the yard, uh, and yes, they're the mainstay of uh, the first interventions. So can you tell us about one of your patients? Um, I saw a video on your website of Kara Strickland and her testimony, but would you tell us a little bit about her? Uh, Kara Strickland uh, is uh, a uh, uh, an owner or, uh, of a uh, um, cheerleading school. 
uh, energetic young woman. Uh, I believe she's 37. Uh, she is the mother of uh, three boys. Uh, she began her pain odyssey, if I can call it that, uh, 11 years ago. Uh, she had been seen uh, by a number of uh, physicians, uh, and it wasn't until my associate, Dr. Geyer, uh, visited with her, uh, and he literally hand-carried her, I do say that by the hand, to see me because she had the proverbial pain in the butt. And uh, we made the diagnosis. We intervened with an injection, confirmed the diagnosis. Uh, we tried her with rhizotomy. All of the conservative measures were a failure. And then we subjected her to uh, a fusion of the sacroiliac joint. I'm here to tell you she's at three years uh, follow-up now. Uh, she uh, not only owned uh, the um, uh, cheerleading facility and participated, she's back doing that. Uh, she was an, an avid equestrian. Uh, and she's back riding, not jumping, uh, but riding. Uh, so uh, she gave uh, uh, testimonial, if you will, uh, to the uh, um, uh, one of the company whose device she has, uh, and it was a compelling testimonial. Uh, I will tell you, I'm here to tell you that it brought tears to the eyes of the salespeople. It was just amazing. But here's a woman who was disabled. Her eight-year-old child was putting on her socks and shoes. She couldn't do carpool. She couldn't do anything except stay home. Uh, and uh, she's now has her life back. She's had a fascinating story. So tell me, you mentioned the proverbial pain in the butt. Will you talk a little bit about that and how, what some of the triggers are to let you know that this might be a patient with this issue? I wish I could tell you that this was a difficult diagnosis to make. Uh, it's not. If you simply... Take the advantage of looking at the patient, how they walk, how they sit, how they move, get up and lie down, listen to what they say as far as their history and the examination. You can make at least uh, a presumptive diagnosis of this being part and parcel of their back pain disorder. The problem is identifying the specific source or sources. And what I euphemistically describe as dogs having ticks and fleas, patients can have ticks and fleas in the form of spondylogenic, spine-induced, or sacrogenic pain, and it's incumbent upon us to find out which uh, of the two or both exists because it's only at that point that we make an appropriate treatment plan. But these people will tell you what's wrong. They'll show you. And the typical sign, the sine qua non sign, uh, is uh, uh, Fortin's finger sign. Joe Fortin is a uh, physiatrist in Indiana, personal friend, and uh, the patients will take their thumb and put it over the painful area. That painful area is the sacroiliac sulcus. That's that little dip, the dimples of Venus, if you will. Uh, and that's where you press out, and that at least is the presumptive diagnosis. You've mentioned um, that sometimes it's the you can see in the way that the patient sits, the patient walks. What are some of those signs? Basically, if you have, let's, let's uh, for the argument's sake, it's the right SI joint, they will limp on the right. They will favor and basically spend very, very uh, uh, brief intervals of weight-bearing on the joint. If you simply ask the question, every time your, your, your right heel hits the ground, do you have that pain? Yes. So what we're doing is we're loading that. When they sit, they basically sit on the opposite buttock because they can't put pressure on that buttock. When they get up, they get up what I describe as segmentally. They get up like little old people. And then eventually after the first few steps... And they basically straighten out or are able to walk okay for a while. And that was uh, that sign was basically uh, 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 given to me 
uh, by our chiropractic physicians. Uh, if you ask them a simple question, uh, can you turn over in bed? The resounding answer is no, it hurts. So they will actually tell you. And then you ask them specifically, when do you think this started? Some of them can't give you an issue. Others will say, well, I remember I fell out of a tree. I got bucked off a horse or something like that. But at least the physician is made aware that this is part of the differ- differential diagnosis of the pain for which they're being seen that day. Do you feel like some of the treatments that we can offer now for SI joint dysfunction are successful? The treatments, both uh, uh, interventional, namely pain procedures, uh, and surgical, are definitely effective. Uh, I'm here to say that uh, rhizotomy, in my hands, uh, I can successfully make people comfortable six out of ten times. And what that simply means as a pain physician, when the patient says to me, I'm okay, Ralph, okay, I can deal with this now. And so I've given them an ability to participate in a style of life that they want. Mechanical issues uh, need mechanical uh, devices. And if you're younger, uh, you want to do things. You want to blow and go. Uh, age now is a relative thing. All people want to blow and go, myself included. Uh, but the real important issue is we stop as pain physicians and start acting as surgeons when the uh, less than uh, structural alterations uh, are uh, uh, all failed. And so with the advent of a uh, predictable, reproducible surgical endeavor through a minimally invasive approach, uh, we've been able to stabilize that joint uh, and dramatically relieve uh, these patients' uh, symptomatology, some to the extent of after having pain for 11 years, I have had a 17-year-long patient and a 22-year-long patient. Uh, and they're basically, they, we've returned their life. That must feel good to be able to see a patient who's dealt with pain for so long and seen so many other providers and then be able to offer them a real solution. Uh, I don't let my male patients hug me, but I do let my female patients hug me. There you go. That really, it it is an amazing, amazing uh, consideration because it's that kind of a meaning. Dr. Ashbaum, you returned my life. And that's really what we work here for. So do you have any closing comments for us? Uh, Yes. Uh, I think uh, perhaps the most uh, important, if you're a patient listening to this, uh, the necessity of having uh, the sacroiliac joint examined in each and every patient that complains of back pain and buttock pain. And unless and until that's that's done, you can't make the diagnosis of one being at the exclusion of the other. Uh, The other issue at hand is uh, the recognition if you're a physician doing that examination. I can't tell you how often uh, these patients, including Kara Strickland, uh, and it wasn't until Dr. Geyer examined her joint uh, that attention was called to that. So merely listening to a patient but failing to do the examination, uh, in my opinion, is uh, uh, a fault that lies at the feet of physicians. A lot of physicians will do one examination, and it's called a Faber four. okay? And it's basically a, pos- a postural manipulation of the hip. And if that doesn't cause pain, then the patient is deemed not sacrogenic. Well, that doesn't make sense. There are at least 12 exams. Okay. All you have to do is get three examination positive points. Once that creates the awareness as to the presence of this, then the next would be injection therapy to determine whether or not you can modify the pain, literally take it away, and then start the patient on the uh, conservative route of uh, physical therapy and or chiropractic, 
failing that, then a surgical intervention. Dr. Rashbaum, thank you so much for joining us today. For more information about Dr. Rashbaum and the Texas Back Institute, please visit www.texasback.com. Dr. Rashbaum is an orthopedic spine surgeon at the Texas Back Institute, and he specializes in back pain treatments. For an appointment, please call us toll-free at 1-800-247-BACK. That's 1-800-247-2555. Thank you again, Dr. Rashbaum. You're most welcome.